Good morning, church. It is great to see everybody out here on this, sun, on this wintry, snowy morning. Um, we are going to continue worship by reading God's Word. If you could turn into your Bibles to James chapter 3, I will be reading verses 13 through 18. And if you would like to use the Pew Bible right in front of you, turn to page 1012, 1012. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is God's word. Good morning, church. We continue in our series in the book of James called Real Wisdom, Real Faith. James is one of the apostles who pastored the church in Jerusalem. And James is very much a practical theologian, meaning his focus in this letter and his writing is not on um, how to understand the truths of Christianity, but on how to live out the truths of Christianity, how to live the Christian life. James wants us to see how the gospel changes every aspect of our lives. And he's been doing so by by contrasting real wisdom versus earthly wisdom or false wisdom, and real faith versus counterfeit faith. And he tells us over and over again, real wisdom, real faith are shown by how you live, by how you live. We looked at James 3, 1 to 12 last week, and we saw how powerful our tongues can be. And James often addresses our speech because, why? Because how we speak is evidence of what's in our hearts. It reveals our hearts. And he's saying, has the gospel really changed your heart? Then it will be evident in how you use your words. And we saw how the tongue, even though it's so small, can cause incredible danger and damage and destruction. And that's, that's meant to sober us. We're meant to feel the weightiness of that. And yet there's hope for our words. Why? Because there's hope for our hearts. And that's what James ultimately wants us to see. Since what comes out of your heart is what you speak, now he moves to the, the logical next step that what comes out of your heart ultimately leads into how you live, how you act. And so James now shows us that we need wisdom from above to transform our hearts and our lives. Seeking wisdom from above. Have you ever thought about this question? What, what makes a person wise? What makes a person wise? Is it age? Experience? Degrees? Letters behind a name? Knowledge? What makes a person wise? 
Sometimes we have this picture of what a wise person looks like, and it's always what they look like or, or the things that they say. And so we, we think, oh, yeah, Yoda, he's wise. He speaks backwards. He's got to be wise. Or Gandalf, right? Gray hair, big beard, he's got to be wise, a wizard. Or Mary Poppins, right? There's all kinds of pictures of wisdom, Do you have to be a wizard or a Jedi master or a magical nanny to be wise? James is making the case in this letter and in our text today that any one of us can be wise. And every one of us can be wise. He said in the beginning of his letter, James 1 verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. There is wisdom available to all of us if we will seek it from God. And so really my question to you this morning as we start and as we close will be, do you want to be wise? Do you want to be wise? And you say, well, that's kind of, that's very kind of high up in the clouds. Here's what I'm really asking. Do you need help figuring out how to navigate your challenges at work? Do you need help figuring out how to deal with the trials and struggles of marriage or singleness or divorce or losing a loved one? Do you need help dealing with your in-laws? Do you need help as a student navigating all the challenges and complexities of being a student? Do you need help managing all the changes in your life? Do you want to be wise? Let's look at how we can seek wisdom and live a life of wisdom. Lesson number one, true wisdom is shown by how you live. True wisdom is shown by how you live. Verse 13 of James 3, again. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Since James is addressing wisdom, it'd be helpful to know what he is talking about. What is wisdom from a biblical perspective? He's teaching us that wisdom is not just shown by what you say, it's shown by how you live. You can't just listen to someone and conclude, oh, they're wise. No, you can't. You might think, oh, Yoda's wise because he sounds so wise. No, how does he live? That's really wisdom, what James is saying. That's wisdom. You have to look at a person's life to know, are they wise? Because wisdom isn't just knowledge. It's, It's knowledge applied to life. Here's one working definition of wisdom. Wisdom is the God given ability to faithfully apply truth to everyday life. God-given ability, because he says wisdom from above, to faithfully or consistently, effectively apply truth, apply knowledge, apply understanding to everyday life situations, no matter what arises. That's wisdom. And this text teaches us that wisdom comes from God and that wisdom is shown by how you live. Notice, that, notice he asked a question to begin this section. Who is wise and understanding among you? James is likely challenging a certain group of people in this church who are causing trouble. Maybe the same ones that he addresses in chapter 3, verse 1, when he says, not many of you should be teachers uh, because there are a number of people that were causing trouble by what they say. Sounding wise, 
sounding insightful, but then he applies this to all of us. He says, listen, by your good conduct, you can show him, show by your works the meekness of wisdom. He's challenging every single one of us to say, don't just claim to have godly wisdom, show it by how you live. Show it by your actions. James did the same thing in chapter 2 when he said, don't just tell me you have faith. Don't just profess faith. Show saving faith by how you live. Demonstrate it. I want to point out an interesting word. He says, by his good conduct. That word good. There's two words for good in the New Testament. Two Greek words for good. One of them is the most common. It's the word agathos. It means morally good. Meaning good as opposed to evil. That's not the word used here. The other Greek word used for the word good is the word kalos. K-A-L-O-S. Don't worry about it. It it simply means beautiful or attractive. Compelling. As opposed to ugly. What James is using the word kalos here. Good, beautiful conduct. Attractive, um, um, compelling conduct. Why? Because true wisdom makes one's life beautiful and appealing. What makes something beautiful in general? Now, I know that's a deep question, so we could spend a lot of time talking about that. I'm not, but you ever think, what, what makes something beautiful? Take music, for example. What makes music beautiful? Isn't it when you take certain notes, and there are only so many notes, but you take certain notes, and they're brought together in a harmonious way, in a way that the, the notes complement each other, and they produce a sound that you can't help but say, that is beautiful, that is attractive, that's lovely. So what makes a life beautiful or lovely, it's when you're able to take all the aspects of your life and, and interact them in a harmonious way. Your relationships, your, your physical health and body, your work, um, the people you interact with. When each aspect of your life is complementing one another, when they're not in conflict, when they're not being neglected, James says true wisdom is evident by a life that shows the beauty of godly living. Living the way God designed in harmony in each aspect, living the way it was meant to be lived. The beauty of being able to relate to your family members and your co-workers and your roommates and your church family and your work. It's a well-ordered life. That's why wisdom is the God-given skill of applying truth to life. And here's the thing James is saying. Every Christian should be seeking and growing in wisdom. Wisdom is not for the elite Christian but for every Christian. I think sometimes we, we might think that those with wisdom and understanding are kind of like the athletes at the Olympics, right? They've been training so hard. They've been, they're, they're at the top of their game. They're the best of the best. Those are the ones in our community, in our church. Those are the elite ones. Those are the wise ones. I'll defer to them. And James is saying, no, no. My point to you, church, is who is wise and understanding among you? This is an invitation for every one of us to self-evaluate. Am I living as someone who is growing in my ability to discern what is good and lovely and then how to live out that good? James insists good conduct or right living is the inevitable outgrowth of wisdom. James also shows us that true wisdom is rooted in meekness. Notice in the meekness of wisdom. 
Meekness is not a word we use very often. The word for meekness here means to not be overly impressed with yourself. Also translated gentleness. In the Greco-Roman world, the time that James was writing, meekness was not a virtue, it was a vice. It was looked down upon. If you were described as meek, you were seen as weak. You don't seek meekness as a virtue. No, that's embarrassing. That's, that's weakness. That's shameful. And then Jesus comes along and he says, listen, the very essence of my heart is meekness. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. That's the word meekness here in James. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The way of Christ and the way of, of the Christian is meekness. Jesus even pronounces a blessing on the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Listen, meekness is still looked down upon in our culture today. It's not a virtue that's celebrated. You're not going to look on Facebook and see lots of memes saying, be meek today, because that's going to make all your dreams come true. No? Nope. Be gentle, James says. Don't demand your way. That's, that's not the world's way, but that's the way of Christ. The world's way is to demand your own way, isn't it? To seek justice at all costs. To champion your cause, whatever that may be, and use as much force until you get other people to start listening or until they relent and give you what you want. Is that how you and I live? Is that the meekness of wisdom? From Christians, meekness is the way. You want a beautiful example of meekness in history? Just one. It's those who led the civil rights movement in the 1960s. Martin Luther King Jr. championed equal rights for blacks in America, rightfully so, because they did not have equal rights. There were inequalities, there was injustice rooted in our very laws, and there were many angry people who wanted Martin Luther King to lead with, with force and with violence. But MLK preached a vision of change through nonviolence, through love, through meekness, and it was rooted in the gospel. He preached a message of power under control, and that's why they engaged in marches and sit-ins. That's why he was willing to be arrested and imprisoned unjustly. And listen, there is still so much more work to be done, but it was the meekness of wisdom that King championed that led to the progress that has taken place so far. It melted hearts. It changed laws. It changed lives. It can change society, but it's not going to be done by force, at least if you don't want to do it, if you want to do it the way of Christ. Meekness is characterized by humility and gentleness. James is simply saying this, true wisdom understands that before God, you are not hot stuff and neither am I. And sometimes it's just helpful to hear that, isn't it? We would never say that, but honestly, don't we live like we're the center of the universe? We're unworthy of God's presence and grace, and yet He's giving us that by, by grace, freely. And so when you have this right understanding of yourself before God, it leads to a humility, a meekness to how we relate to one another. And James says, as you, get, as you develop that, as you get that, now you're on the path of wisdom. Number two. Lesson number two, reject wisdom from below and all its selfishness. 
Verses 14 to 16, now show us wisdom from below. This is false wisdom because it's rooted in selfishness and sin. It's the way of, of the world apart from Christ. Look at verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Bitter jealousy means envy. It means being resentful of others because they have things and they have opportunities that you don't have. Bitter jealousy is the twisted thinking that, that I think, you know what? You have what I want and because of that, I resent you. No, you have what I ought to have and because of that, I resent you. Do you struggle with this? Selfish ambition is the idea, is a word that most, was used most commonly back then to describe those who entered, get this, those who entered politics for selfish reasons. Strange, I know. It, this word, that was what this word was used for. It carried the idea of the image of, of angry people undermining one another and fighting for their own agenda at any cost to others. Has politics changed in the last 2,000 years? That's why we need men and women of integrity in politics. But James' point is that Christians in the church were engaging in the same kind of behavior as those in the public square in their politics. He says, if you're dealing with jealousy, envy, and selfish ambition in your heart, he's saying in verse 14, don't be deceived. Those qualities are not rooted in wisdom. As much as your leaders tell you they are, they're not. As much as they try to give you a vision for what they are, they're not biblical wisdom. And he says, don't self-justify. You say, well, I'm only jealous of that person because I want to provide a better, a better, provide a better life for my family. That's why I want the, what they have. No, that's self-justification. It's jealousy and envy. I'm only jealous. I only envy her because she's such a great mom. I want to be, I want to be as good as a mom as her. No, that's not wisdom from above. That will not help your soul in any way. It will only lead to disorder and greater conflict in your relationships. It will lead to temptation to cut corners. It will lead to stepping on others in order to, to, to climb the corporate ladder. James says there's two kinds of wisdom, and only two. Either you're pursuing true wisdom, which he says is from above, or some counterfeit wisdom from below. Verse 15, the wisdom down from this is not wisdom that comes down from above, but instead is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Whoa. There's a progression here. To not look to God for wisdom is to cultivate a, a faulty worldview that is fundamentally um, ungodly. That's why the Proverbs will repeatedly say, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom begins with a right understanding of God in relation to yourself. Wisdom that is not rooted in the fear of God, he said, leads to a worldview that is earthly, meaning it just rejects God entirely. Number two, unspiritual, meaning it's rooted in the sinfulness of our own hearts. And then ultimately, that kind of wisdom from below is demonic. It literally, the word is devilish. It's inspired from the father of lies himself. 
Or as the Apostle John would say to sum up these three terms, it's a worldview rooted in the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. You might be wondering, how bad can it really be if we're not seeking wisdom from above? I mean, how can, how, I mean we're, we're, kinda, we're smart as human beings. We're, we're smart. We can do good things. How bad can it be? And he tells us in verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. James is like a surgeon, and we've said this before. He just keeps cutting deeper and exposing our hearts. Verse 16 is the summary of the human condition apart from God. Think about all the atrocities in our history. Racism, abortion, slavery, the Holocaust, Go further back to biblical times. Nebuchadnezzar making everyone worship a golden statue of himself. Throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire when they won't. It's Jacob deceiving Esau. It's that jealousy and envy. I want what you have, but I can't get it, and so I'm going to do whatever I can to get it. It's Cain killing his brother Abel. But don't just look at the big things. Now zero in on the sin in your own heart. It's the nasty things you say and do to your spouse. It's the way kids speak disrespectfully to their parents. It's the way you justify that secret sinful habit. It's the blindness you have to the idolatry of your job. It's the resentment you carry toward that friend or church member. James is telling us jealousy and selfish ambition ultimately opens the door for every kind of evil imaginable. James knows that we need to feel the weight of the destruction that comes from seeking wisdom from below. It's like last week, Pastor Brady said, why is he kind of nailing us for our words? He wants you to get down lower in humility. The lower you go, the better you'll be in the end. Same thing as we look at the kind of wisdom we're bringing in, the kind of wisdom we think we're living by. He says, you, you need to get to the point where you're so humbled by how, by how much we can muck it up and realize the worldly wisdom is so false. I don't want to reject it and all the selfishness that I see in my own heart and I want to desperately seek wisdom from above. And then James says, now you're getting somewhere. You know what wisdom from above looks like? He says, I'll show you. Lesson three. Seek wisdom from above and all its righteous fruit. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Twice now, James has used the phrase, wisdom is from above, meaning it comes from God. And the good news is that God wants to give you and I wisdom. James 1, I already said verse 5, James 1, 17, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. God wants to give you wisdom as a gift. Do you believe that this morning? He's not saying, come on, Christian, work harder. Come on, Christian, you can do it. Come on, Christian, live up. No, just simply ask, I want to give you a good gift coming down from me. 
What is this wisdom like? It's first pure. This word refers to our moral purity. It's a life marked by a pursuit of holiness. If you don't care to follow the teachings of God, to follow the commands of God, if you don't care to let God shape what, what is good and, 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 and honorable, then you're not willing to live a life of wisdom, a life of purity. But this word purity also means a purity of devotion to God, a single-mindedness in terms of your pursuit of God. James will say later in chapter 4, verse 8, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Purity is related to being singular-focused, singular-minded. He says, he's saying, devote yourself to God's kingdom and not your own kingdom, not your little kingdom where you're on the throne. Realize that's not a real kingdom. Devote yourself to his kingdom. He says the wisdom that is above is first pure, then peaceable. Peaceable, the opposite of combative or argumentative. Someone who uses their energy to, bring, to build up unity and harmony. It's gentle. Different word than above in meekness. It means considerate of others, not overbearing. Are you overbearing? I can be. It's not wisdom. It's open to reason. This wisdom from above is open to reason. I love that. He's saying, do you have a teachable spirit? Are you willing to listen to others? Are you not stubborn but have an openness to change your perspective? I hope you start to see some of the implications of all of this in the, in the various aspects of your life. He says this wisdom from above is full of mercy and good fruits. Mercy is compassion and action. Mercy cares for others, helps others. Mercy is the ability to forgive others even if they've wounded you deeply. You show mercy because you've been shown mercy. That's wisdom. You say, well, I don't want to be a doormat. No, that's not being a doormat. I'm not saying you, you take abuse or you let someone hurt you, but I'm saying if God has forgiven you this much, can you forgive someone this much? That's wisdom. And, and of course your friends aren't telling you to do that. If you go to work, you think your coworkers are going to say, oh yeah, you ought to forgive your spouse. I know they'll hurt you. No, they're not going to. They're going to say, get out, be free like us, and be miserable like us. No, no, they're not all miserable. If you're not following biblical wisdom, godly wisdom, I can tell you it's not leading to happiness. Holiness will ultimately lead to happiness. In the biblical sense, Joy. He says wisdom from above is also impartial. You're not making judgments based on outward appearance. It's sincere. It's genuine. No hypocrisy. We don't put up a front. We don't fake it. There's sincerity to our lives. We're honest. Does that list, does that list describe your life? Do you want those qualities? And verse 18 is a summary of wisdom from above. He says, A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The sense is that peacemakers cultivate an atmosphere of peace around them which allows righteousness to flourish. Righteousness cannot be produced when there is bitterness and selfish ambition. Righteous living grows in a climate of peace. 
That's why we work so hard as leaders to cultivate an atmosphere of peace in our midst as a church family. Why? But not just because we don't want conflict. No, if there needs to be conflict, let it come. But we know that in the, in the atmosphere of peace, in the soil of peace, is when righteousness can flourish. Again, James, when he talks about righteousness, he's not talking about our right standing before God primarily. He's referring to our right living with one another. Wisdom from above that embodies these qualities are meant to lead us to peace, shalom, flourishing, peace in our families, peace in our marriages, peace in our friendships, peace in our church, peace in our workplace. Do you see your desperate need for wisdom? Are you seeking wisdom from above? If you say, yes, I want wisdom, how do I get this wisdom? Two ways. Two ways you get this wisdom, I would suggest. You want, you want to grow in getting wisdom from above, seeking wisdom from above. First, two things. First, we gain wisdom from above, and you're not going to like the first one. We gain wisdom from above through suffering. Through suffering. Through trials. You say, why do you say that, Mark? Why, well, out of all the things you can do to say to gain wisdom, I'm not saying it. James said it in James 1. James 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously. Do you see the connection? Trials, according to James, are meant to strengthen our faith, cultivate endurance, and mature our character. In other words, you cannot gain wisdom. You cannot grow in wisdom without trials in life showing you how little in control you really are. Those trials drive us down into humility and it makes us desperate. And that's exactly the posture we need if we're going to then say, I don't see wisdom around me and I don't see wisdom inside me. God, where is wisdom? And as soon as you look up, he says, ah, I have your attention. I have your heart. You're in a place of desperation and that's the place where God meets you. Not in a place of self-sufficiency, not in a place where I got this figured out, not in a place where I just got to think through strategically how to make my life better, how to do such and such, how to plan everything. No, when I realize I can't figure it out, God says, look up. Trials do that. Earthly wisdom is rooted in selfishness and pride and you can't be wise when you're selfish and proud. I don't know what trials you're going through right now. I don't know what trial you're going through. You're either coming out of a trial, in the middle of a trial, or you're going to enter one at some point soon. I don't know what that is. What I do know if you're, is if your goal is simply to figure out a way out of that trial, you will miss what God is wanting to teach you and you will not become wise. Here's one thing I do know. There are many marriages in here that are struggling. There's a lot of selfishness and pride. All the pastors and our counselors on staff, we are working with couples, working with marriages. We personally are wrestling with the same issues in our marriages. And if you think, listen to me, if you think that it's all your spouse's fault or that if you can just get out of that marriage, you'll be happy, you, you've already given in to worldly wisdom and that will lead to foolishness. If you say marriage is hard, yeah, it's hard. Welcome to the club. 
I'm not making light of it. I'm joining you in the commiseration of anytime you get two sinners and join them together in the most intimate of ways and you think it's going to be heaven on earth? Now maybe, maybe there's heaven on earth at times. I pray you experience moments of joy, of celebration, of satisfaction, of intimacy. But don't expect heaven on earth. And then don't try to get out thinking that will lead to heaven. Just pick your heart. The heart of a covenant bond where, where there's freedom to now work on your stuff without the other person saying I'm bouncing or the heart of then get into any relationship and think, oh, well, if they don't like me, then we bounce and we do it over and over and over again. Is that better? Is that better for society? Is that better for your heart? No, it's not. And it's not the way of wisdom. It's not the way of God. If you will let whatever that trial is humble you, it can lead to the meekness of wisdom. It can lead to you desperately seeking wisdom from above. The only wisdom that will help you navigate the complexities of living in a fallen and messed up world. And the other way we gain wisdom, this kind of wisdom from above, is by simply looking up. By simply looking up. What do I mean? Isn't it interesting that James uses this language as wisdom as, 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 it's, as if it's coming down from above? He literally wants us to visualize wisdom literally like coming down out of heaven. It's the exact opposite of human nature, isn't it? We think that we can go up to get wisdom. We think that we can climb to get wisdom. That's why our ancestors built the Tower of Babel, right? They thought they were wise in their own eyes and they would build a big tower to make a name for themselves. Look who we are. We can go higher and higher. And listen, if you study history, you know that so many cultures in history have, have thought if we just go up onto a mountain, we can count, encounter the divine. We can encounter the gods. We will grow in wisdom. A few years ago, I stood in the mountains of Jordan in Petra, the country of Jordan on this 5,000-foot mountain range. And I looked out at these stunning views and I was on this kind of plateau at the top of this mountain and, the, and our tour guide said, this at the highest point is where they would climb and offer sacrifices because this is where they believe they could meet with God. They had to get higher. They're trying to get up to God, to the gods. They wanted God to hear them. They wanted the gods to see them. We always are trying to go up, aren't we? It's something in us that thinks through our human efforts, we can, we can get high enough and be wise, gain wisdom, but we can't. We can never get high enough to achieve or earn true wisdom because no matter how high you get, it's the same you. It's the same sin, the same brokenness, the same failures, the same pride. We can never climb our way up to God to get wisdom. And so what does God have to do? He has to come down to us. You see, all throughout the Bible, wisdom is not only described as a quality to cultivate, wisdom is also personified as a person to seek. Just read the Proverbs and you, and you start to get glimpses of this. It says in Proverbs, wisdom cries aloud in the street. What? In the market, she raises her voice. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Long life is in her right hand. She is a tree of life to, to, to those who lay hold of her. What is that talking about? Is, is wisdom more than just the God-given ability to faithfully apply truth to everyday life? Yeah, it is. 
Because wisdom is the person of Jesus Christ. He faithfully applied truth to every single day of his life in every situation of his life. You see, you could never grow up to God, but God did come down to you. Luke 2 tells us that Jesus as a child grew in wisdom and stature and in the favor with God and man. And yet Jesus wasn't just full of wisdom, he was the embodiment of wisdom. You read the qualities in James 3 and you realize that's Jesus, isn't it? He lived the good life. He had good conduct, the meekness of wisdom. He was peaceable, no bitter jealousy, zero selfish ambition. He was pure and gentle and full of mercy and impartial and sincere, and he came to make peace. How? How? By the cross. Jesus went to the cross to reap a harvest of righteousness by making peace. And he did it in a way that no one expected, right? Jesus, the embodiment of wisdom, took our sin on the cross. He died for your selfish, prideful, foolish hearts. He died for my selfish, prideful, foolish heart. He was judged in our place. He became the greatest fool to ever live. Because God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Sin is the epitome of foolishness. And so on the cross, Jesus becomes the ultimate fool. Wisdom becomes foolishness. And it doesn't make any sense because that alone feels foolish. It looked like foolishness. Those who watched Jesus die on the cross said, are you an idiot? Why not just come down and prove yourself? They thought wisdom would be coming down off the cross, not realizing that God's wisdom is what kept him on the cross. We preach Christ crucified 1 Corinthians 1, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles, but for those who understand Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. God came down, wisdom came down to expose our foolishness and to heal our foolishness. You see, unless he took your death, you could not receive his life. Unless he took your shame and guilt, you could not receive his honor and forgiveness. The cross is the ultimate wisdom of God on display. Because in the foolishness of the world, what Jesus was doing in God's economy, the wisest thing ever was happening. We were getting everything we could never deserve, and it was all by grace. Sheer grace. And if you will admit this morning, if you'll admit, you know what? My heart is sinful. I've not been looking to Jesus for wisdom. I've tried to live life in my own power, in my own strength. But if you will look to Jesus today and say, Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. I trust you as my ultimate wisdom. Then you experience salvation as a gift. And he raises you from the dead spiritually. He raises you from foolishness to wisdom. And so let me ask you again, do you want to be wise? Whether you're a Christian or not this morning, do you want to be wise? Seek wisdom from above. Seek Jesus Christ and let him produce the fruit of wisdom that can restore relationships, that can heal wounds, and I think ultimately can lead to peace, bringing peace to our world through Christ. Let me pray. Father, As we take a moment to reflect, we need you.
We need wisdom from above. We need a wisdom from beyond ourselves. Lord, from the youngest, the lowliest of us, to the smartest and the brightest and the most achieved, I pray that every one of us would see would see the falsehood in our hearts. That we would not be self-deceived, but would, would speak honestly about what's in our hearts, what's in our world. And that we would just turn to you today and say, Jesus, we look up for you. We're looking up to you. We know you came down. We know you can give us wisdom. We know you promised to give us wisdom. God, I pray that you would. Jesus, would you be the wisdom for every single one of us? Wisdom in our relationships, wisdom in our work decisions and work life, wisdom with our children, with our parents, wisdom in our community, with our neighbors, wisdom as we think through the vision for our lives, where we're going. Lord, wisdom for for our personal habits and desires. Wisdom for how we relate to the church. Or maybe there's some here who, who are showing up, who are attending, but they've not made a commitment, not realizing the wisdom of being involved in a covenant community. And God, for those who don't know you, I pray, Jesus, that you would work in their hearts, gently, lovingly draw them to yourself. Show them the, the good life, Jesus, your life, that can live in and through them. A beautiful life, not a perfect life, but a a redeemed life. We pray that you would do this for your glory and our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.